0: The following podcast reflects the views and opinions of the hosts and guests only. They do not reflect the views or opinions of any agency or specific members of an association. At times, colorful language may be used and may be unsuitable for people under the age of 18. Discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. Long time no see. Steve Graham is president of the LVPPA, kicking off our podcast. It is March of 2022. With me, as always, is
1: Dan Coyne, treasurer of the LVPPA.
0: Mustache extraordinaire right there, uh, bringing in the stash for the new year. Looking solid. I, I grew this, uh, especially for this
1: podcast, with some of the uh, grooming um, questions we have to ask the candidates today. So
0: Love it. Put some perspective to what we're talking about today. Um, so, uh, we're, we're back in the podcast game. We took a little break, uh, toward the end of the year. We're going to have three special guests on today. We're going to have Stan Height, Tom Roberts, and Kevin McMayhill. All three are vying to be sheriff of LVMPD this election season. All three need to get some information out to you about who they are and what their plans are. And that's what this forum is going to be for. Yep, and uh, we have uh, some questions that we believe are important to all of
1: our members, and, you know, that's always on our guys' minds. Pretty much the what we always get asked is, hey, are we going to get this back or what are we doing about that? So we're going field, to uh, field those questions to the
0: candidates and see how everybody stacks up. We'll, uh, we'll start with uh, thanking some of our sponsors. We've got uh, uh, Canada Dry Ginger Ale. Uh, we appreciate your support, as always. Uh, Kirkland's Water, when you're out of water... Get some Kirklands uh, and uh, Sony for your headphones. We we couldn't do this without you, Sony. Appreciate you as always. Uh, looks like our first guest, uh, retired Sergeant Stan Height, is here. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and get this thing going with retired Sergeant Stan Height. Stay tuned. All right, everybody. So we've got our first guest uh, in the series of three that are going to be running for the sheriff's position at LVMPD. It's a very important position to us at the PPA because that is our boss. So the first person that we've got on our show today is former Sergeant Stan Height, and we're going to let Stan introduce himself and uh, what his career's been like. Like we said before, this is a lot about letting you all know who the candidates are. It's very tough. All three of the main candidates, and while there are more people on the ballot, uh, we think there's only three real front runners for this race. And so uh, we want to give you guys the ability to know who they are because almost all three of them have probably been on the, gone from the agency longer than 55% of our membership has been here. So uh, Stan, I'll turn it over to you, buddy.
2: Well, hello everyone. Uh, thank you for having me here, Steve. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Stan Height, and I'm running for sheriff of Clark County. I was a 30-year veteran uh, with Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, retired back in 2008 out of the Northwest Area Command. I do have a degree in criminal justice administration a Bachelor of Science degree from San St. Diego State University, and uh, I just want to be your sheriff. The, the reason I got out of retirement was basically because of the last election. I saw some fraud in the last election. I believe there was fraud in the last election and I've seen our government grow. I've seen our rights shrink. I'm a constitutionalist and it, uh, Frankly, the government's scaring me right now. I'm literally afraid. I'm watching what's happening in Canada. I'm watching what's happening in Australia and I, uh, excuse me, God, I'll be right there, right back. (laughs) Um, I've seen what's happened in Canada and in Australia, and I don't want that happening here. I don't want our police being used for what I consider uh, unconstitutional mask and vaccine mandates. Right now, thank goodness, uh, they've dropped the mandates, the vaccine mandates for the new hires, which were imposed by our current administration, which I never agreed with. My first, option was going to be to remove those mandates when I got uh, elected. However, I'm glad they're gone. I hope that uh, with the passing of the election that they don't get reinstated. I don't want our police being used to close our churches. I don't want our police being used to close our businesses that are called non-essential, take away our guns. So frankly, I'm standing up for the Constitution. I've got a lot of issues I want to work on with Metro as far as... uh, um, morale on the police department image to the public things like that but i think we're going to address some of that in questions absolutely okay so basically we'll, that's my intro
0: we'll, we'll pop off with uh something you talked about which is uh, uh morale uh, absolutely. how from your tenure you know you were on the agency for 30 years uh how has the morale changed over time and what do you think you can do as a sheriff to address that
2: well i think uh morale is affected from the top down i think the uh the, Persona of the administration uh, reflects upon the levels all the way down to patrolmen and um, Number one, we're, we're so low on uh, staffing right now because I think we're, of morale I think the mature officers are leaving at such high rates that we're losing the maturity that we need to Mentor to the younger officers. We're not getting the younger officers uh, at the bottom level because of those mandates we had to begin with so Because we're so low-staffed, I think morale is extremely bad at the moment. So we need to first work on getting more officers. One of my uh, aims is to use lateral transfers. I've uh, been around when we tried it, when we got rid of it. I believe it can work. I I think uh, it'll help with the police department getting good maturity back into the police department. And it'll be less expensive for the community. And there will be issues we'll have to address as far as officers that are Used to doing things one way with their old departments, we, you know, they'll have to be conditioned in an academy towards our way of thinking on Metro. But I think it can be done.
0: The the way the uh, we just started the lateral program back up. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Good. Yeah, we we started an academy. <clears throat> uh, I think that necessary. had had a group, and I think they kind of recognize the the benefit of having people that have done this job. But as far as the morale. How do you, as the sheriff, change? It? I know you talked about like okay. how it's affecting, but what, sure. what do you do? Do you get out and you talk to people in the briefing rooms? Do I'm you- going
2: to be. I'm a hands-on, participative-type leader. That's the way it is. Uh, my whole 30 years, I don't ever remember seeing a sheriff come down to our briefing. I plan on being at, at all the briefings, I mean not every briefing, but at all the substations and visiting the briefings um, periodically, regularly, because I want the officers to know me. I want the officers to be able to relate to me. I want to be approachable. And I want to know what their concerns are. And having their back is gonna really improve morale, knowing that they're not gonna be thrown under the bus just because of a knee-jerk reaction to an incident that happened somewhere in you know, Minneapolis or you know, Oregon or something. I want to make sure that um, the police can address their concerns to me other than through six, six ranks of, uh, you know, uh, of rank through the department. I want to be able to hear their concerns and provide solutions to them. And the only way I can do it is if I'm right there in the briefings, hearing their problems at the time that they're going to work, when they're coming back from work and actually getting out on the field too. I'm going to ride with officers. They're going to see me. They're going to know me.
0: So I think that kind of goes along with that is things like pay and benefits and, and some of the things that are used to entice people to come work here as well as keep the people here working through. And, you know, Dan was our one of our leads on the contract for the last go-around, and, one of the things that is uh, at the forefront of his mind is always longevity, and so I'll let Dan... So
1: we're we're on the lines of uh, recruitment, retention, and uh, morale, and one of the things that keeps coming up uh, constant with our younger officers is bringing back longevity. Absolutely, I believe in that. They believe that that could go a long way in solving all three of those issues. Um, Are you open, and do you have a plan to bring back longevity if you get elected sheriff?
2: Well, when I was on the department... I had longevity my entire career. 30 years, I got uh, my half percent every year. So, yeah, I believe in it 100%. I believe in uh, making our line officers and our line supervisors um, happy. I want to bring back uh, uh, enjoyment to, to police work. I want police officers to have fun again. I really want, uh, I want it to be cool to be a cop again. And yeah. absolutely, uh, they want to pay as a necessary uh, part of it. Uh, I know that during my career, we always got the two, three percent that we needed and we always had longevity and i've never complained about the pay
1: yeah um through my,
2: through my whole career
1: so a constant throughout all three of you guys um you guys believe in bringing back longevity uh, and you're a supporter of it sometimes just that belief is not going to be enough would you be willing to you know go to county commissioners or sit Absolutely. down with us in an arbitration and tell an arbitrator mm-hmm. why uh, the department needs this instead of um you know fighting us on it
2: well we have to look at numbers and find out where our pay is compared to what uh you know um the community can afford and uh then we go to bat yeah we go to bat and see what we can get and i'm all for uh having the highest paid police department in the country because i'm going to have the highest quality police department in the country
1: okay um steve we have another one that's pretty popular among the uh the employees is um uniform the uniform that we're oh, yeah. wearing now is probably the same uniform that you you uh, were wearing when you started um best
0: 30, dress 30, 1973 uh, yeah
2: you know what? In 78, we did have
1: the best uniform
2: in the country. I know that's, that was, uh, that was, we were ranked. I think we might've been number two. I think New York or somebody had a uniform that was comparable, but we had one of the best uniforms in the country. And I don't see any problem with trying to get that back because look good, feel good. You know, that's the way I feel.
0: But I think our folks feel a little differently. They want to feel good, uh, rather than look good. Uh, you know, some of the problem with the wool pants that we're talking about, I mean, it's. When it's 115 out in the streets and you're wearing a, a wool pant that has the flexibility of me,
1: especially if you're a bigger guy, you know? yeah,
0: yeah. The the concerns is that they'd like to see somebody go into more of a BDU style, more of a better button-up shirt that isn't so heavy like the material it is now. Um, you know, just a little bit more ability to move about rather than being pretty constricted and pretty hot in the uniform.
2: Well, I wore the wool pants for 30 years, so damn it, you're going to wear them too.
0: There you go. So. <laughs>
3: My
2: wife just cringed. I'm sorry. No, um, that'll be, that's, that's something that I'm going to have to put up to committee. Uh, I want what the, the officers want. You know, something I always talked about way back in my career was an outside vest.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I stopped wearing a vest after four years of my career. So 26 years of my career, I did not wear a vest. And it was getting towards the danger part too when I retired. But uh, I, I believe in the officers being comfortable. I do believe in uniformity. So we have to find something that everybody likes. But I'm all for it. I want it to look good too, but I want it to feel good and I want it to be um, practical. Something that, uh, you know, like an outside vest, I just think is so much better than a vest inside a shirt where it just doesn't breathe and it just collects that sweat and you're dripping down below your, you know, gun belt. So.
0: You're talking yeah. about too, like a, like a load bearing vest, like something they could put that, actually gear on rather than would wear be the great belt?
2: because I got back problems uh, mm-hmm. from my 30 years of carrying that, that belt.
0: What about uh, one of the things across the country that we've talked with our counterparts in Houston and in Florida that they're relaxing a lot of is the standards on beards and the standards on tattoos. Where do you yeah, stand on something like that? I'm
2: afraid we're we're in that era where we're going to have to. I mean, I want quality police officers. So if I got a quality uh, candidate and he's got a be- well, he's got a tattoo, um, we're going to live with a tattoo. You know, I'm not a tattoo guy. Sure. You know, but uh, hey.
1: So, Stan, would you approve this mustache for oh, duty-related purposes? <laughs> no, not that one, I wouldn't. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was hoping no, to hear, Stan. No, not that one. Yours
0: was an impressive one. <laughs> Listen, I remember that <laughs> yeah. stash uh, from long ago, and what he has over there is nothing like it. Uh, yours was more Tom Selleck, nice and thick, had some body to it.
1: That was more of a, th- a thinking stash. <laughs> that
0: is more of, hey, I got my hair cut, and I glued some stuff to my face, and this <laughs> is what I've got now.
2: My, uh, my mustache was, uh, black and it turned gray <laughs> and the wire, the wire hairs started doing this. And I had to, I had to, I had to lose it. I had to lose it.
0: <laughs> so the, the campaign trail, how's the campaign trail going for you?
2: It's, it's doing well. I'm uh, really reaching out. I'm reaching, uh, a lot of the community. We have a very diverse community. And so I'm trying to reach out into the diverse community. I'm reaching out to the native Americans, the Hispanics, the, the blacks, the, the Asians. So, uh, and, and of course, you know, whites. So I'm, I'm, all, all the uh, dynamics I'm trying to hit. And I'm hitting, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, hitting, I'm getting some success.
0: What's, uh, what's your thought for June? Do you think any one uh, candidate is going to win it in June, or do you think this is going to go to November?
2: Um, I wouldn't be in it if I didn't think I was going to win it. For sure. I do. I, do you I,
0: think you can carry 50% of the vote in June?
2: That's my goal. Gotcha. I'm, I'm a Christian man. I've been praying to the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, I don't only just want to win it, I want 51%. I don't want to have to go to November. I want to win it now. I can really get into the job and start preparing, you know, after uh, June. And, uh, and like I said, uh, I'm doing it for the guys. I really want to improve the morale in our, our
0: sure. and in our community. Sure. So um, as you know, and, and the point of these, this podcast this week is uh, that our folks get a, a look at you, our folks get to hear from you and see kind of who you are. How important is an endorsement from the PPA, uh, let alone the rest of our uh, Public Safety Alliance of Nevada? The PPA is one of the largest groups in the in the state. Uh, how important would it be for you to get it? And how would you utilize our endorsement?
2: I have to be honest, I, I have not sought any endorsements. I haven't sought yours, I haven't sought anybody's. It's, the endorsement is not important to me. Um, it's the people in the agency. It's the PPA members that matter to me. So just getting a, an endorsement from the execs in the department itself, in the PPA, it, it would be icing on the cake. It would be uh, wonderful. I mean, I'm not saying I don't want it. No. I'm just saying it's not something I pursued. You, I pursued so, the vote. So, that, Stan, that what's so,
1: so important about our endorsement is the, for the endorsement for sheriff, our members vote on it, and they have right. 100% say. So if you get our endorsement, you have the nod from our members. So the members themselves don't have an individual? Uh, the members
0: themselves individually
1: vote. And right. they're the ones who have the say on who right. we endorse. Okay. So
0: what, what you're probably used to, Stan, back in the day was if 51% of the membership didn't vote, the executive board got to make the decision. Right. Uh, and I I want to say it was uh, Sheriff Gillespie's first uh, race that that happened. They went with the other side but didn't get enough votes, and the board ended up going with uh, Sheriff Gillespie. So when we kind of got involved, we looked at this and said, listen, this isn't right. First of all, it's very tough for us to get 51% of the vote anyway. Right. But listen, if 100 people of our 3,600 vote, their vote should matter, Absolutely. and the 35 that sat dormant shouldn't. So now it's 51% of the voting body that voted, whatever the majority is, we go full speed toward that, that candidate. So if our, our group comes back and says, it's Stan, Stan gets the full support of the PPA, gets our badge, gets our uh, financial backing, our billboards, everything that we can roll out for it goes along with it. So to your point... It is more than just us. It is about our folks and they will tell us which way we want to go.
2: I want the PPA vote. I want the PPA endorsement. I want everyone in the PPA to vet me and hopefully support me. That that's my goal. Lord, please. Do you have a my campaign. You have a website? I do. Stanheightforsheriff.com.
0: Stanheightforsheriff.com if you guys want more information on Stan I assume the website has it. Um, and uh, we look forward to getting the vote out and letting everybody know where they stand with our membership. And we do appreciate you coming in. And as I said, it was on short notice. I reached out to you three this morning and all three of you said, I will put down what I've got going on and I will be there. So uh, from myself and Dan, thank you for doing that and participating.
2: Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate it. You got it, buddy. God's thank blessings. you, Stan. Thank you, Dan. Nice meeting. It was wonderful. Thank you.
0: All right. A lot of good information there from retired Sergeant Stan Height. We appreciate him coming to the show. Uh, We appreciate his time. This was kind of last minute, so uh, it really means a lot to us for him to get out here and kind of talk to our membership and tell them what he's all about. And uh, we have uh, Tom Roberts up next. Uh, Is he ready? Yep. All right. Interview number two lined up here with former Assistant Sheriff Tom Roberts. Uh, We appreciate you coming. Again, as I said with Stan, last minute, very early morning text, for our people that uh, may not know you, if you could talk to them about who you are, again, okay. reminder, this uh, this video is going to go out to our members in support of the vote for who they want to support for Sheriff. And as we told Stan, this, the choice is theirs. They come back and 10 people vote and say 9 to 1, it's Tom. That's who we support. So uh, that's your audience. That's who we're targeting. And Tom, go ahead well, and introduce yourself. Well, first, th-
4: thank you for having me on here. You know, th- this association mean, means a lot to me, and uh, and this endorsement means a lot to me. Hey, a little bit about me is I-, I spent 34 years in law enforcement, nine and a half United States Air Force. Uh, that's where I met my wife, and that's what brought me to Nevada. This is where I decided to make my home, and so I got out, joined the Metropolitan Police Department in 93, uh, and I worked a variety of assignments throughout my career. Um You know, uh, I worked patrol, I was a field training officer, I went to narcotics, I was an IA, I promoted myself up over the years uh, throughout the ranks, uh, but one of the consistent things that I always did is that, you know, I I always stayed the same. I was the same guy that I hired on uh, in the Air Force to uh, Metro to now. So I retired in 2018. One of my jobs prior to uh, uh, getting promoted to captain and on up was I was a legislative liaison for the police department, it was always something I thought, you know, maybe I could go back and make a difference in that after police work. So that's why I I ran for the Nevada Assembly. There was a vacancy in that spot. It was an opportunity for me to go do that. So in in 2018, I retired to run for the Nevada Assembly, where I spent two terms there, which is what I'm doing now. I'm on my second term. I've got uh, two kids. Uh, One of my boys is on the department. He's a member of the union. I, I think he's actually on your board. My other son's an entrepreneur opening a restaurant. So, uh, when he gets that open, hopefully some of your patrons can can go to that. Married, uh, 34 years, uh, beautiful wife. We met in the military. She works out at Nellis. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree. I have an associate's degree in criminal justice, a bachelor's in education, a master's in human relations, executive post certificate. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of the certifications that, that are needed for this position.
0: Perfect. And, uh, you know, for full disclosure, when uh, we were dealing with things in the legislature, uh, especially during the special session and the last session, Tom was always somebody that we could turn to for some help on some bills and some information that we would need and things like that. So we always appreciated your efforts up there. Um, so thoughts on your campaign. How's the campaign rolling along? Uh, how are you feeling? You know, do you think you're going to close this thing out in June? <laughs> do you think it's going to go to November? And, uh, You know, what are your thoughts?
4: Well, look, campaigning is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, Obviously, you know, uh, there's some disparity in the fundraising aspect of it. I have raised money. I've got a good ground game. I've ran elections before, not only for my campaign, but others. Uh, So I know how to get to the next step. Uh, We'll take one step at a time. I feel good. uh, And I think uh, we're moving in the right direction.
0: All right. With regards to endorsements, um, you know, as this video itself is is pushing right. out, this is going to go attached to an email to our members about endorsing a candidate. Uh, as a reminder to you, and, and we keep reminding this, that the support is solely based on what our membership tells us. Five people vote, that's the vote. Whatever the majority is, that's what it is. So um, how important and how much would you covet an endorsement from the PPA, and how would you use it if you got it?
4: Well, look, it's, it's very important because uh, it means a lot to me that the line level cops uh, at Metro uh, have faith in me to be their elected leader, uh, right? I, so I, so it, it, it would really mean a lot to me, and it, it would be very coveted. How I would use it, I'd spread it far and wide. Uh, I think it's important to know that the rank and file support uh, the person or the people that are running or, or their candidate for sheriff, and I think it will make a big difference. As we saw last election cycle, uh, law enforcement and support for the police, uh, was actually the way we were able to flip, uh, three or four seats in the assembly is that was our message. And we, uh, we held strong with it. And I think a variety or or most Nevadans, if not all really support police. And and I think it's, it's, it'd be an important
0: feather in my cap for this campaign. All right. Um, so morale at work and, and we'll go from this one to, uh, some issues at the jail or some concerns at the jail for our members. Uh, morale is is dipped uh since you left um probably been a little bit since we had extremely high morale be interesting to poll our members and see when when you felt valued here at work um but uh, how important do you think morale is on this agency and you know there was a former chief at the jail that said morale's not my problem i don't care uh we of course at the union have a different frame of mind for that and so we'd like to know as our potential leader what is your thoughts on that? Do you care if people gripe, or do you really want to hear it and do something about it? Well,
4: yeah, I care if I care if people gripe. Number one, I, I think you have to have an open, an open door and be seen and, and be available uh, for people to to complain. Number one, uh, I'd like to ask your membership the last time they saw the sheriff or anybody in really high executive staff in your briefing rooms, getting that feedback. And, and I also believe it's very important to have uh, the input of the police officers that are out there day to day uh, addressing crime and doing the job. I can't really, I mean, you can make decisions all day at the upper level, but they could be the wrong ones if you don't get input from line-level people. And I I think that goes a long way with morale. I don't believe that line-level police officers and our correction officers are second-class citizens. Uh, There's a lot of folks that believe that that's, uh, that's the way they are. I just heard recently a member of executive staff talk to one of your union board members and said, hey, look, you're just a CO. Uh, Your opinion doesn't matter. We run this organization, and and I disagree. Your opinion does matter. And In my administration, you would be very involved in the decision-making. Sometimes there's short-term decisions that need to be made with speed and agility. Hey, those are good. But any long-term strategic issues that impact you and your membership and and every man and woman man and woman on this police department need to be,
0: uh, you got to have buy-in or weigh-in to have buy-in and you would have it. I think it's important. One thing you said, because there's, I do feel there's a contingency of supervision on this agency that feels that the line level people have nothing really to offer. We used to do those strategic initiatives and every year we would answer the same things that were a problem and they'd come back year over year asking the same thing and the same problem still existed. So, you know, understanding that, you know there there is this arrogance of rank sometimes that people think because I took a test, I know everything rather than listening to a twenty four year officer that's worked the streets or you know a detective in the bureau that's been there for eighteen years telling a new sergeant, hey, maybe this is the better way for us to to handle things.
4: Yeah, look, I've always approached it like that. and I've and I anybody I talk to, even my son, I go, look, there's there's no one job or person that's more important than the other. Uh, I could take leave as assistant sheriff for a month and the department wouldn't miss a beat, but you take away a few first line supervisors or a lot of cops, uh, you're going to, you're going to have an impact, you know, or a, or a janitor that doesn't show up for a week. Uh, You've seen what a substation looks like when that person's not there. So those jobs are important. It's important that we get input from those people that do those jobs in my job. You don't work. You don't work for me. I work for you in my job is to see that you have the tools and the ability to do your job the best way that you can do it.
1: Yeah, Tom, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, department's currently dealing with problems in retention and recruitment. Um, certainly solving the morale issues would help with that. Do you have any other plans um, to kind of overcome the problems with recruitment and retention? If so, what are they?
4: Well, look, as I said in your forum uh, that we did earlier this year, I thought this this was the most important issue that's facing uh, law enforcement today. I have friends all over the country, and they are all struggling to recruit, and they're struggling to retain. A lot of that is from external resources and the climate that's in the country. I think we do a decent job here. Our community still supports us, but we really need to address the issues uh, for retention. Number one, you know, morale's an issue. If you've got a toxic work environment, people aren't going to stick around. They're going to leave when they can go. So you need to fix that, number one. Uh, recruitment uh, is, look, we need to provide some incentives to get people in here. I know we have a lateral program now in-state. We need to open that out-of-state. There's a lot of people that we can pick up from uh, around the country that are dissatisfied in their community. And they can come here. But we need pay and benefits to go along with that. And those are things that I believe that we can work collaboratively and together. Your association in my administration to get those done. Uh, you can't do that in a vacuum.
1: And you know, the, the pay and benefits part, um, I know you're, you're a a firm believer in uh, bringing longevity back and that probably would go a long way with, uh, um, solving the retention problem. Um, but saying, you know, I'm, I'm for bringing longevity back. I, I see a hurdle in that. Um, I believe we'd need a, a candidate to go and sit down with us. Um, And help get that, you know, with the the county commissioners and even if it came down in arbitration to sit down with the arbitrator and say, hey, this is why um, I need, you know, um, longevity and this is why we need longevity to keep these officers. Was that something you would be willing to do?
4: Well, look, we would need to do whatever we can. And longevity is definitely a, a part of that. And that's something I think you could sit down and negotiate that. If you're running 100, 200 vacancies and you're bleeding people like there's no tomorrow, you've got to do something to uh, retain people. And I think polling your membership, obviously you have, if you believe that, uh, that longevity is an issue, there might be some other ones out there too, that we can poll or work together, say, hey, what? why are we losing people? And how can we keep more of you to stay? And, and if you know other people that are in other jurisdictions, how can we get them to come here? I mean, th- those are the things that we need to peel back and work through strategically to, to solve.
1: Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um as far as some of the issues at the jail, do you have anything else, Steve, on, along those lines? Um, you know, a lot of our corrections officers um, <clears throat> feel like they're being treated by the administration as almost second-class second, second class officers. Um, uh, the two most important things going on right now is, you know, they have to bring these clear plastic bags into the jail. When they go outside of the jail, the hospitals, they have to wear clear plastic bags and in the public, which is, I think, unprofessional. Um, and, you know, the Internet issues, they, they don't have any access to the Internet. Um Instead of saying, hey, if we catch you doing something on the internet, we're going to hold you accountable. You know, they just want to go out and blanketly <clears throat> punish people with that. Um, Are you open or would you have any plans to bring those things back where they don't have to have the clear plastic b- bags can go back to normal? And, you know, just to put put in line, there's nothing I'm aware of that there was any security breaches or anything, contraband being brought into the jail. Um, and they haven't caught anything since the plastic bags have, have came out
4: look, as as we did in an earlier forum in, in this year is look, I, I don't believe that corrections officers should be treated uh, differently than any other employee on this department. I believe that the clear bags are basically the ability for the management to do an administrative search when they don't have a uh, reasonable suspicion to do so. Uh, I would do away with the clear bags. I, I, I just I think it's embarrassing that our employees have to do that. And uh, I would remove that. The internet, same thing, right? We need to address small problems rather than take a sledgehammer and apply it to everyone for a big problem. If people are abusing the internet, the, look, I was over IT. We had people live streaming movies and a variety. You just shut those services down and, and shut the things that that are abusing that people are abusing. You know, you address it that way, or you address individual behavior. The same thing with clear bags is that. That was a policy that was instituted uh, by one of my opponents, both of those, just by the, uh, to mention it, uh, when there really wasn't a need to do a broad sweeping policy
1: change. Yeah, and I think pretty much most of our officers would agree with that, with your
0: stance. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the one thing with discipline. We, we clearly feel that there's a, a heavy hand going on somewhere at, at Metro. Uh, you know, we would never say a name of someone that we think it is. You know, it'd just be nice to... To the point that you brought up, hey, if you've got an isolated incident, deal with that person. If you've got four of them, deal with the four people. But uh, telling everybody you're all wrong because you, these four did it or this one did it isn't the right way to conduct business.
4: It's, it's being weak, it's weak supervision, right? You've seen it on every squad you've ever been on. Uh, you have somebody, everybody knows who the problem is, and the sergeant comes in, and doesn't address that person, addresses everybody with some kind of policy or rule change. Uh, it's weak su- supervision. Uh, you know, I, and I, I also believe there needs to be some improvements in the labor relations, right? Uh, if we are butting heads, administration and, and our associations, on discipline issues, and uh, the administration is losing a lot of them, we're spending and wasting a lot of, both of us, are spending and wasting a lot of resources that we don't need to do. If we can sit down and work through those things, and we need to change the way we do business, then let's do it. And, and I'm, and, and I'm committed to doing that. So
0: sitting here looking across the way at, at Dan's uh, mustache, <laughs> <laughs> uh, th- that segues me into uh, uniform policy. Uh, again, talked about it at the Q and a, uh, but what's your stance on relaxing the policy on if you have tattoos in your arms, you have to cover your arms and wear a long sleeve or the only way you could have a beard, a neatly trimmed beard, is if you have a doctor's note. Would you be willing to relax those two?
4: Yeah, so facial hair, I, I think, is, uh, is a, uh, a, a relaxable um, thing. You've seen that, you see that around the country. I mean, North Las Vegas, I believe, right now is experimenting with it. Uh, I mean, it's proven if you can do it with a shaving waiver or religious exemption, you can wear a mask and perform your duties, then, then why not everybody else? So, so I'm there. Yeah, you know, tattoos, I, I think we could we can take a look at that policy. Sometimes there are some tattoos that are offensive in na- nature. Uh, we looked at that early on, and, you know, we wanted to take a look at that and maybe police them, and they just took the stance, just no tattoos showing. But I'd be, I'd work, be willing to work with the association to get somewhere where we could relax that. Uniforms, uh, look, it, it it's the biggest complaint that I get from employees is that, they're not happy with the comfort of the uniform. I, you know, it's the same one that I wore uh, my entire career for the most part, except, you know, we have a zipper on the side than we, we didn't have before. Uh, I have friends that are in uh, the South, desert southwest. Uh, they have a variety of police uniforms that are nylon, that have uh, vests that, that go over the uniform shirt. I, I think we need to explore all those. We uh, mod- may have to modify the color of the uniform because sometimes the the really light tan shows some of the anomalies on that but I think there's a lot out there we will make some improvements when I'm elected sheriff and and I
0: will involve the employees in that decision and and that you know you've said it a couple times I think that's important for us as as the union stewards to hear is that we want to involve the employees you know it's it's never a it's never a pride thing for us at the union we're just carrying the water for the folks that can't can't speak to the higher ups. And so to your point, you know, we get the same complaints. Hey, this uniform's archaic. We're out in a foot pursuit when it's 115 out. I can barely bend my legs because this wool is stronger than my legs are. Um, it gets wet. Now all of a sudden it feels like it's 50 pounds. Um, we're taking it to the dry cleaner every night instead of being able to put something in the right. laundry and, and wash it and still, but still look professional. So right. I know those are important things uh, that our folks want to hear about. Uh, one other thing that I I do apologize to Stan, I forgot to ask this, but uh, as we roll along, it's kind of how things work is, you know, as we look forward to the next legislative session, right um, as a sheriff, do you think it's important for you to have, I know you talked about when you did governmental stuff for the department, but do you think it's important for the sheriff to come up there and testify on certain bills and be present in that building uh, I've been up there through a, a few sessions now. I see the importance of higher-ups from agencies. And would you take a more proactive, singular approach as the sheriff to say, no, I'm coming up to testify in an anti-police bill. I'm coming up to talk about police use of force as the expert for the largest yes. agency in the state.
4: Uh, <laughs> absolutely. So it was one of the reasons I, I ran, and, and you mentioned it earlier, is you know during the special session, there's there's a lot of people out there that uh, believe I voted on some very bad legislation. And and I'll tell you that during that special session, uh, I knew that there were going to be police reform issues coming to the forefront. You and I talked leading up to that as I talked to the PMSA, and I've always felt that getting out in front of those things early are the best way to combat them. But because of my relationship with people on both sides of the party, uh, I I showed you a lot of iterations of some things that were being (coughs) thought up. Uh, Some take away qualified immunity uh, The ability to do pattern and practice uh, investigations on individual Taking away officer-involved shooting investigations to outside agencies And and I was able to work with people on the other side to to reduce those things down What came out on that reform bill? I mean, there was some kind of use of force issues We were moving that way as an agency anyway But everything else we pretty much were already doing here at Metro And became the standard for the rest of the state I'll tell you that on the other side, on the Police Officer Bill of Rights, I thought my cooperation would be able to help enough to limit or minimize the repeal of what I supported in 2019 and the administration opposed in 2019. Um, But that didn't happen. That went through, they repealed those rights. I would be willing, as I discussed earlier, to bring some of those back, uh, if not all, in in our contract. Uh, But I believe that my past experience as a legislator, the relationships that I've built with those people up there would go a long way. And I think your presence in the building is needed from time to time. Would I stay up there the entire time? I don't believe I could, <laughs> um, you know, but uh, I certainly would spend a, a more time uh, than previous shares.
0: Got it. All right. I think uh, unless you got anything to close with, uh, Tom, we appreciate your time, appreciate you taking the a- time out of your day, during your campaign. You have a website?
4: Yeah, so I do. So, you know, I know there's been some text messages that have been going out to
1: personal phones over the last few days. If you want to give everybody your phone number to call you. I would.
4: So uh, (laughs) rather than go that route and, uh, you know, look up everybody's personal phone numbers, I'm very accessible. I have 65,000 constituents now. They email me and phone call me, uh, give me phone calls. I'm the one that answers the phone. My cell is 702 429 Two eight eight zero. That's 702-429-2880. Please don't sign me up for any free text messaging apps or anything like that. But if you need to call me, call me. My email is tom at robertsfornevada dot The four is a number. Uh, you can go to my website roberts uh, robertsforsheriff dot It has all that information on it. If you have a question or you want to talk to me about anything, feel free to reach out to me. I will respond.
0: One last thing, and you're so you vacated your. You will be vacating your assembly seat.
4: Yeah, I'm not running for re-election, Who, so... The, who's running out there? So, Brian Hibbets is uh, a retired sergeant on police department. He's running. There's several other candidates. I, I haven't endorsed or anything in that race. Um, I like Brian. I think, I think Brian brings a good police perspective. It would be great to have another cop up there, but... Uh, We'll get down to that as soon as I talk to all the candidates, but yeah, I'm leaning Brian.
0: All right, unofficial endorsement. You heard it here. <laughs> Brian Hibbets for Assembly District 13. 13 out in the northwest part of town. Tom, we, we appreciate you. Uh, like I said, this is going to go out um, Friday to our membership with uh, a link for this as well as a video of ours, and uh, the vote will start Monday for who our members want us to endorse. So uh, we'll keep you posted. Well,
4: I appreciate it. Thank you all for the job that you do. Thank you guys for the job that you do. I know it's thankless uh, because you get a lot of complaints from a lot of different people, but I I appreciate the job that you do, and especially the men and women out there, and I would appreciate your your vote. Thank you.
0: All right. A lot of uh, thank yous to Tom Roberts, former assistant sheriff of LVMPD, former or current assemblyman, if you will, who's going to vacate his seat and uh, take the plunge and run for sheriff of LVMPD. Uh, next, uh,
1: before we get on to Kevin, we have another sponsor that we forgot was Moe's mustache wax. Uh, Um, if you use, I think May 2020 code, it's half off. So get your mustache
0: wax before May starts. Um, we also have Kevin McMahill up next. So come on down. All right. Our third and final candidate, while the ballot is going to have a lot of names on it. Uh, there are a lot that I've never heard of, uh, but the top three that I do know, uh, this guy is one of the top ones that was there. Uh, former under sheriff kevin mcmahill worked with him for many years up until he retired a few years back and uh the last of our series and so kevin feel free to talk to our folks about who you are and what your plans are and what you're doing and what you did
3: yeah thanks for having me so i guess the, the first question that i get a lot is if you wanted to run for sheriff why did you retire and so i'm going to address that very quickly and then and then move on why i came back um I retired December 28th because at the time, um, the sheriff told me that he was going to run for a third term, and uh, I think Joe's done a great job as our sheriff, Um, and so I went off to the private sector, and and candidly, I went and uh, worked for a company called Nafcare that does correctional health care. They paid me a lot more money in Metro. I flew around on their private jet, which is a real real cool way to travel. Yeah, we have Um, We have it here. (laughs) You have one of those at the PPA? Just a couple. Yeah. Um, Some Russians. I had no stress. My light, my phone never (laughs) rang on the nights or the weekends, um, but quite frankly, I got a little bit bored, and so Joe came back to me in March and told me that he was going to run for governor, and he wanted me to run for sheriff, and so I went back, and um, I talked to my wife and kids first. I still have three kids at home that are in, you know, high school, and I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have wanted my dad to be the sheriff while I was in high school, so um, got their permission. Uh, I knew it was going to be a long and ugly, um, you know, campaign, as we're seeing as, as it plays out today, but I had to really think about why did I want to come back because, you know, I rose I was the undersheriff for six years and I really got to start to think about that experience as the undersheriff. And, you know, um, I start off with the Bundy incident. Um, you know, Joe and I were up there on the ground with that and uh, mostly the SAT team and a bunch of other cops. And, you know, still to this day, I think they should make a movie about that. I'm not quite sure how we got out of there without anybody dying over over cows but we did um and then as you guys know very well um, two people radicalized up there came down and assassinated alan and igor at cc's pizza before they went next door to the walmart and killed a civilian and I uh, managed that incident we don't have to talk about one october um but people forget that 58 people died that day two subsequent and uh, the, the most amazing part of that story though was that 422 other people were shot with an ar-15 round and when i talk about um You know, cops, we're talking to cops, and and cops know what an AR-15 round looks like, you know, what kind of damage it does to the human body. And I'm so proud of the effort that they did that day, Um, even in the face of that magnitude of tragedy. um, You know, we had brand-new cops running through uh, hails of of gunfire every day. The the death toll was going up. um, The number of wounded was going up. And I started to finally get the opportunity to hear some of the stories and, you know, tying tourniquets with um, barbecue tongs and t-shirts and that partnership and relationship that we've trained with the fire department and EMS for so long has really paid just enormous dividends. The fact that 422 people were shot with an AR-15 and they all survived is just a real testament to the men men and women of Metro and really the entire first responder community, including the doctors and nurses and those that came from there. You know, then, then we move into COVID and, and, uh, You know, I I tell people that I think COVID was one of the largest leadership challenges that I've ever had at Metro. People are always surprised by that. But, you know, five of our members have died. Um, One civilian has died, so six total employees. And then our folks, day in and day out, we ask them to go out there, uh, fight crime, keep our community safe. They come to work every single day knowing that they're being exposed, that their friends have died. Um, And how do you convince them to continue while the rest of government is shut down except for fire and EMS? Um, businesses are shut everybody else is shut and and they're out there and they're facing that and again extremely proud of the men and women of metro for for that Um, and then the summer of unrest and uh, you know I talked to an officer the other day and he told me that you know Kevin I I gotta be honest with you He said I don't really like this job anymore and so we were talking a, a little bit about that and he said he talked about the summer of unrest and he really talked about how it was that he knew that the people that he had responsibility to police for they were going to go out and they were going to peacefully protest until about 10 o'clock that night. And then they were going to change and they were going to start rioting and they were going to come in and and he was going to be standing across the line taking insults and rocks and frozen water bottles and batteries. And he just really got a bit disgusted by it. So I was really thinking about that whole summer of unrest. And, you know, uh, they performed better than any police department in this country. We changed our tactics over and over and over again. Um, Every single night I was just... 30 or 40 feet away from Shea McLeanus when he was shot. I was out there on the front lines with those men and women because I'd been there at the command post and I saw and I listened and we had those guys that were the First Amendment auditors that were saying that our cops were using excessive force and they were doing all kinds of things that I knew was completely false. And so I wanted to go out there and be with them so that we could use these body-worn cameras and use the rest of the cameras and then go out and call them liars That's exactly what we did. and. You know, I have a history, a long history of standing up for our people when, when it's appropriate. If you remember the Seattle Seahawks guy that came down here and called our cops racist after he basically started a riot at the Cromwell. I went out on the news and, and stood up for our men and women and, and said, absolutely, race was not a factor in this particular event. And so all of those uh, things combined, really, um, I love this police department. I love the men and women of this police department. And so I had to make a decision, um, and I did, and I didn't really hesitate in making that decision because I know how good this police department is. I know how good the people on this police department are, and I I just felt like I'm the most qualified and and the most experienced to do it. Um, I've had their backs for a long time. I'm not afraid to hold them accountable either, but um, they do amazing things. They don't get enough credit for it. I'm sure we'll talk about a a couple of these things as we move forward, but those were all the reasons that I came back. You know, I can tell you i have a bachelor's degree and my wife's on was on the job as a deputy chief and my son and son-in-law are on the job but um i care about all these cops and that's why i decided to come back because i can't let metro go backwards
0: what kind of background do you have though with metro where have you been what kind of stuff have you done
3: well i'm an army veteran first i grew up in colorado born in california um went over served a couple years in korea got out and uh came back and started metro in 1990 um I was a patrol officer the vast majority of my career um, early on. As a sergeant, I did PSU and, and the academy and then as a lieutenant, I had counterterrorism, saturation teams, regular you know regular patrol narcotics. Um, again, as captain, then I had the fortune to become the captain at Boldenary Command. Um, really changed a lot of the way I think about policing while I was over there. And um, after that, obviously, you know, deputy chief and I had the patrol division entirely to myself, not like there's two chiefs now, um, but all the way up through the ranks. And so I've supervised pretty much every aspect of the organization, six years of day-to-day operational responsibility.
0: Nice. All right. I think that gives enough uh, backstory. How's the campaign moving along? Uh, ask the uh, Tom, you know, is your hope to win this thing in June? Do you see this going to November? Do you think you've done enough to close this thing out early? Uh, how's the campaign trail going?
3: Yeah, so this month is a uh, um it's i'm a new i'm not a politician so a lot of this is new to me but the month of march you spend a significant amount of your time working on endorsements from all the various unions not just ppa pmsa and p pace but you know all across ibew and the laborers and all those things and so a lot of that is still ongoing as we sit here and speak um i the first endorsement i got was in that uh, the national latino police officers association um as far as campaigning goes, uh, it, they want me to raise $2.2 million for a job that pays $160,000, which is crazy to me. But um, I'm sitting currently at $1.7 million. Um, I'm far out raising any of my opponents. Um, I think when we did our 1st CNE report, Tom had $114,000. Uh, Stan had like 12000 and I was at one point four. So, look, I attribute a lot of that to the fact that People know me. I ran this organization. I was always on television. Um, And the campaign is going extremely well. Um, As you know, there's a lot of negative attacks that Tom put out about me uh, recently. Um, I expected those things to to actually happen. Uh, Funny part of that story is that four or five years ago, um, Tom had asked me in my office if I would ever run for sheriff. And at that time, I told him, nah. He said, why not? And I said, well, I don't have thick enough skin. I know these people are going to attack me. And if I was, my opponent, I, this is what I would do, and he's doing exactly what, what I told him to do. So there's nothing new here. Um, there's, you know, it, it, It's unfortunate, though. I was hoping that we would have a clean campaign. I was hoping that we wouldn't have rumor and innuendo, and he knows fully well that I was investigated and cleared on that. Um, he worked for me for four years. He did everything I ever asked him to do. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and trash him, I'm sure, when I s- hear what he had to say. I, regardless, I'm, I'm not going backwards. I'm going to lead this organization – um, in the same way that I'm going to run this campaign, which is respectful of our people. And I'm very confident that the men and women of Metro are going to support me very strongly as well.
0: Well,
1: in speaking of campaigning, um, we're still looking for a top sponsor with the uh, Leaf Police and Fire uh, f- football game. And with that top sponsorship, it could be the, I mean, if you just look at in lights, the Kevin McMahill Police and Fire Bowl um, yeah. for only $25,000, that's that's not nearly <laughs> $1.7 million. You, I don't know
3: if I'm coming in at twenty five. I can send 000, you like, the link. <laughs> I think I have it. Actually, I sent it to my campaign, <laughs> and I'm not promising you twenty five thousand. I can the tell you that largest I public safety
0: first. event in, in the state's history. We yeah. will we will dub out the not in what he just said. And says I'm donating twenty five thousand. You I heard it you. here, Kevin McMahill. I'll tell I'll tell you this. It's <laughs> a great
3: event. I'm glad you guys are putting <clears throat> it on, though.
0: Yeah, and it's totally uh, workers comp free. Everyone's on their off time, so there will be no workers' comp bills for the department to pay. That's good. Uh, that's for Sheriff Lombardo, who asked, please, Steve, don't have anyone on duty, so you <laughs> got that taken care of.
3: Um, hey, Steve, if you don't mind, I'd just like to say something about that. You know, um, that that particular history for me was part of why um, I always pressed for those body-worn cameras because we'll never have another officer accused of something that is not captured on video. And But more importantly, I, I think um, with Sheriff Lombardo and myself, you know, I would really challenge you to go back and look at every single sheriff and the numbers of people that were fired. You know, Joe and I really took a look, those guys that are robbing casinos allegedly or whatever, right? I mean, that's that's a whole different story that, but you know, we we expect so much of our cops today in 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 ways that even when you and I were pushing cars around, right? You didn't have to do all this stuff, right? It's it's a it's a really difficult job that, that we asked them to do day in and day out. And you know this this sort of pendulum that swings in in policing, where, you know, after one October, er, every cop was a hero and we're the greatest thing in the world. To, you know, it's kind of wasn't that long ago that it, we're all bastards and they're all protesting against us and and we're kind of coming back to middle. But, um, you know, the sheriff and I at the time uh, when he came into office, we really took a different approach on getting rid of people. And I know there's disagreements on a number of these things that we've done over the years. And I think there's always going to be healthy discourse on that, but you know, the, the fire people for, for simple mistakes and things that can be fixed through training, I think we have a pretty good record of that throughout the last six years or seven years of of, of the sheriff being there. And I know we, we could get into the specifics, but the reality of it is, is that I don't believe that because a cop makes a mistake,
0: they need to be fired. Well, that's, that's good to hear and definitely good for our folks to hear. Uh, so with regards to what this is, right, we're here because we're about to do our endorsement process. And uh, as a reminder to you and to all our people, the endorsement process is our members vote, that's it. Not the retirees, uh, not the city marshals. It is the men and women of LVMPD that are members of the PPA that will tell us this is who we want you to support. It is not a 51% cutoff, got to have so many votes. If 10 people vote, the, the majority of that vote carries. Um, and, and to some concern, some people have expressed, well, uh, is it confidential? Are they going to release the names of the people I would tell any of our folks watching, when have we ever released anyone's name for anything? So the people that have that fear, please give me a call because you need some square squaring away. Uh, I can vouch for that. That's never happened. Yeah. In all the years there
3: were <laughs> votes, i never seen a name.
0: No. Um, but uh, so with that in mind, uh, how important is an endorsement from this organization? And how important and how will you use it as far as the rest of your campaign moves? I know you already have signs up and things like that, um, but how could you use it to your benefit? Can I talk about our conversation earlier? Certainly.
3: So, so Steve, a uh, number of months ago when we started talking about the PPA um, endorsement, to me there's no more important endorsement. That's uh, I worked at Metro for almost 30 years, and if the men and women of Metro don't believe in me by voting for me, um, that's going to give me a real slap in the face. And I mean that in the sense that I, if that's the way it was going to go, which I don't believe even remotely is going to happen, Um, That would say a lot about what they thought about my leadership over those six years. And uh, I didn't make everybody happy. You know that. Um, But I I really believe um, in the people that that are your members and um, are members of our organization. Um, How would I, number one, it it would give me a lot of pride, right? Because the PPA is Metro. Um, We had a conversation about potentially going and getting the endorsement of another organization. Um, And when you told me that, I wrote it off um subsequently found out that the other two candidates were going to go interview for that and so i called you and asked you and you explained it to me in a way that i did not get previously that this other organization is trying to steal your members and um, try to cause a lot of problem for the ppa um, i i believe i've always stood up for the ppa by the way um, many many years ago when the ppa was almost going to dissolve when it was the La- La- las vegas law enforcement association that came in i was a board member of the ppa and i um, fought to keep the PPA, and we won. And then many years later, I was uh, on the PMSA board as a board of directors as well when we went through some of the challenges over there and kept the PMSA intact. Personally, I believe in the unions. I believe that's why we're well-paid, why, why, we, why we have great benefits, why we have great equipment and training. Um, you guys keep us honest. And, um, you know, organizations at times will get the pressure from cities and counties and the way that they fund us but the reality of it is, is that we all have to be in this together to take care of our people. And, you know, there's one thing in my campaign I'll talk about in a little while, but, you know, this this, this taking care of the people that work at this police department is, is really at the very top of my list. And so that endorsement means that much to me. Um, I care about it and I'm not going to interview with the other group.
0: You know, we appreciate that. Uh, and it shows how much our endorsement means to you uh, in this process. And, and and listen,
3: let let me just say in in that fact is that the reason that I had even entertained it, right. The badges that go out on our signs and posters and all those things, it would be helpful for me to have all of them and not give my opponents any of them. But once I realized exactly how important this was, um, and the fact that somebody else was trying to tear the PPA down, I've chosen to go strictly with the PPA vote. That's a a gamble, no doubt about it, but I'm pretty comfortable that I'm going to win the PPA vote.
0: well we, we appreciate that uh, that show of support for us um, How would you use our, our endorsement? Uh, you have flyers up you have signs up you have that badges how would you incorporate us to existing stuff? Well I
3: think I think uh, on all the signs and all those things you just add stickers to gotcha. them um, but I would I would love to have you know when I get the endorsement I'd love to have conversation with you all as to how we could you know support my my campaign. And, you know, I, I think people, you know, it's, it's funny. I was, I was at an event the other day and, you know, people always ask these questions that think the sheriff has control over, right? Like, why do you keep letting people out of jail? And so I explained to people about, it's really judges that are letting people out of jail and the cops don't love it. And so I said, you guys really need to research who these judges are and who you're electing. And, you know, district attorneys, um, this defund the police thing that failed, It's just been, they didn't go away. It's just been supplanted by electing district attorneys who won't prosecute anybody. You look at what happened in L.A. with Garcon and Krasner and Philly and all the rest of these things. We can't get a district attorney in here who's going to do nothing, right? And so I'm supporting Steve Wolfson because I think Steve is is the the choice in this particular race. Um, But also uh, I told them, they asked me, well, how do I know all these judges? There's so many of them on the ballot. I said, well up the LVPPA and see who they endorse because they have the best interest of this community and the members of the PPA at heart when they go through these judicial endorsements. And, um, you know, we may not always agree on everybody that you guys endorse, but I'll tell you what, if you want to look at a slate to determine who it is that law enforcement supports, there's not a better organization to look at that. So I think as far as that goes, um, you know, that's just an opportunity for us collectively to, to influence election as well.
0: And I think too that, you know, it's, uh, we do lay a lot at the feet of the DA uh, for prosecution. Listen, the cops can go out there and arrest all the people they want. The follow through on the case is what it is, but it also has an impact up at the legislature. Sure does. Um, I, I don't know who you're supporting for a governor. I won't even ask. Um, uh, but uh, when we look at laws being watered down, uh, when we look at things like, Police can no longer stop someone for jaywalking, and now we see our jaywalking deaths are starting to skyrocket. Uh, in 2023, when certain traffic offenses like speed become a civil infraction, which means there's no real criminal follow-through, a deterrence is one thing I learned through uh, Eastern Gateway Community College, where I've gotten my recent degree in criminal justice. Thank you. Uh, that uh, there's a uh, deterrence out there, and what deterrent is there to tell someone if you get 20 speeding tickets and pay none of them, you're going to have bad credit? Like that it starts up there. What, what kind of impact do you think you see yourself having at the legislative session when it comes to laws, uh, as well as things to try and attack the police, defund the police, changing pattern and practice for police that you know the people that are discussing this have no background in? Yeah,
3: um, well, I think one of the things that, that really irritated me about my major opponent there is that he was in the legislature and he did vote to, uh, for a number of different things that made our cops jobs much <clears> more difficult. You know, even the removal of the chokehold, I, I just didn't agree with these laws. And, and so one of the things that I, I, I'm talking about in my campaign is that, you know, defunding the police was really about mental health, addiction, and homelessness, that they wanted to take the funds from the police and put them over here. They're not a hundred percent wrong because they're 100% wrong in taking funds from the police, but we are the de facto response to every one of those social issues. With the advent of 911, all of those different things have failed, and we're the only ones that have anything to do with it at all. Police. Those police officers that go out on the street, almost every time we shoot somebody, mental health or addiction is involved in some way, shape, or form, or homelessness. So, one of the biggest things I'm gonna do is I'm gonna use the position and the power of the office of the sheriff to bring people together, to start to work on these issues. Like, we have all this COVID money coming into the state right now, right? Millions and millions and millions of dollars. Do you hear any of our elected officials talk about handling mental health addiction or homelessness? I mean, really, are you hearing it? You're not, because they love the fact that we're the ones that are out there having to deal with it. The Clark County Detention Center is still the largest mental health treatment center in the state, still the largest addiction treatment center in the state, and it's the largest homeless shelter in the state. This is not right. Yet they want to. They want to pick at us for every single thing it is that we do. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna use the the power of that job to really put back the responsibility to the people that have responsibility for it, and that's a lot of our other elected officials. I will never go up to the legislature and capitulate on the the rights of our cops. Um, you know, the, the the fact that that my opponent voted for the state not to be able to unionize that tells me a lot as well. Um, look, we we have to if. if If he's in a position, right, to sit up there and be the loudest voice for law enforcement, not to capitulate and vote against police, not going to happen while I'm the sheriff.
0: Do you see yourself going up there, though, Uh, maybe even at the request of us saying, hey, we could use some support from a position like yours to come up and help us out? Uh, Do you see yourself being amenable to saying, yeah, I'd go up there and help support? Um, I don't
3: see myself I, I will be supporting and look I mean there's going to be some things that you want me to support you on that you know would be better for me personally you know as, as a, the leader of the organization to remain silent but I don't know what those are as we sit here because you and I we don't you you mean in the PPA we're not at odds on the way it is that we think about leading our people um, I think we need to get some rights restored to police officers and have opportunities to make sure that you know I, I, we, we talked briefly before we went on camera it literally outra- outrages me that we have police officers at their homes with their wives and their children and we have these protesters show up and go over to their house and put wanted posters and say, you know, wanted for murder and all these kind of things. And we have no elected officials willing to do anything about that. You know what? It wouldn't be that hard to pass a law that says it's illegal to protest at a private residence. I know, that's what I'm pushing for as a sheriff because it's,
0: that's terrorism at its finest. So it's funny, you know, you bring that up and you look at that, and we, we lived through that where our officers that were involved in shootings had people protesting out their house and, you know, other people in the media and politics said, well, you know, it's a right, right to them. They're not stepping foot on your property. It is what it is. Um, but apparently you can't confront somebody in government at a restaurant and say bad things to them uh, because then that becomes a problem. But you can show up at a cop's house and terrorize their family all you want to the point that we have a young officer now that is going to retire from the agency uh for doing nothing other than his job and potentially saving lives uh and now he's been tormented so much that his his answer is i'm leaving and i'm going to probably move out of state and never be heard from again
3: i've talked to several of them and it's just absolutely outrageous yeah
0: dan so kevin um i know our our
1: officers um want to know a little bit more about your plans with the department specifically um On low morale that's been plaguing the department and the recruitment and retention uh, problems that they're currently going forward with. Um, So do you have any plans for that? Well, I
3: think I think on the morale piece, it has to start at the top. Um, You know, as a young cop, um, I remember when the sheriff came into our briefing. This was after a couple of uh, our officers were um, put in the Clark County Detention Center for an event at the Fremont Hotel. And I remember that sheriff, um, somebody asked about the morale, and he said basically, What do you want me to do? Open up an effing can of morale and pass it around. And I, I was very offended at the time by that. Um, so, thinking about morale is like, I go to my, whether it's a squad, a shift, a station, a division, um, you always have to look back to the leadership for what the morale problem really is. And I intend to assemble a team of people and give them direction as my command staff and, and, and change the environment so that they understand that they are valued and that we care about them. And that really goes to uh, one of my campaign um, promises is that I'm going to focus in on developing what I'm calling a wellness bureau. And the wellness bureau is heart, mind, body, and soul of police. Um, So things like, um, things like, you know, just this, you don't think about this when you think about a wellness bureau, but think about our physical. So For however many years you've been on, you've gone over to UMC, you do the same exact thing, right? You get your ears, your eyes, they listen to your chest, they put you on a treadmill. A month later, you come back, they tell you you got all these things wrong. Test your blood, all that. Then about a month after that, you get a document that says here, we call it the fat letter, right? It says you're a little bit overweight, you have high cholesterol, you have high triglycerides. I've never seen that. What is (laughs) it? Is this a new document? (laughs) I've never gotten it in 24 years, never seen it. And what do you do with it? You shred it, right? So there's no (laughs) follow-up to it. And in today's world, we've been paying tens of millions of dollars for the same old physical (laughs) that we get all the time. There's technology out there that'll, you can do a head-to-toe scan that'll tell you whether or not you have blocked arteries, that you have, uh, you know, pulmonary embolisms, a number of things that we could really put together in one unit. And then the single biggest complaint I got as the undersheriff every single week was workers' comp. Um, if you didn't fill out the report timely or you didn't get this box checked or whatever, they would deny you. And then because Metro doesn't own workers' comp, but the perception is is that we're fighting against our members in workers' comp all the time. Um, these workers' comp attorneys are getting extremely rich off the fact that we're not taking care of our people. And so I'm going to have an entire change in the way it is that we look at that. I intend to actually hire a doctor so that we, and a nutritionist and a number of other people that can come, um, and really so that will be a one-stop shop for them to go in and, you know, we can have all the other opportunities available to them, whether it's you want to do a mental health screening. Um, but in talking to Randy Sutton, you know, I thought I had assembled what is second to none when it comes to employee assistance program. Um, he really impressed upon me something that I guess I was not smart enough to figure out. And that is that there's a certain percentage of our people that will never trust the police department when it comes to admitting that I have this problem or that problem, right? There are no matter what it is that we do, we're not going to ever get past the fact they don't trust us. So we also have to have alternatives available to them so that it has nothing to do with Metro. And one of the things we're going to um, uh, hopefully sit down and, and talk about is how, how maybe you could use in that health trust, how we could maybe put some additional funding in it so that they have as many visits as they want for mental health, as many visits as they want for a number of other things so that they don't have to rely on our employee assistance program, whether it's telemedicine or physical in-person visits. It makes no difference. But assemble some people together so that we're actually proving to our people how much we really care about them. So. That Wellness Bureau, I've already started working with a number of different people so that when I get in there on day one, we can hit the ground running. On, and, and there's a lot of outside people that are helping me because I'm not an expert on wellness. But I really believe that we can show our men and women a, in a completely different way how it is that we care about them, which goes to your morale issue. And I forgot the second question. I'm so
1: um, it was uh, also retention and recruitment. And I'll just get in get into it. A lot of our members believe that bringing back longevity Um, could go to solve all three of those things Uh, not completely solve it but go a long way Um, and I know that you are a supporter of bringing back longevity however sitting on contract committees um, just saying hey I support this is not going to be enough Um, you know when we go into an arbitration uh, the department um, will say and they have said uh, no we don't have any problems with recruitment we don't have any problems with retention the union's lying I don't know why they're telling you these things um, something that we think we would need to bring it back is, you know, um, the sheriff's personal support on, you know, going to the county commission and saying, this is what I need to fill these spots and going to the arbitrator and say, this is what I need to keep my guys on. Is that something you've thought about or would be willing to do with us? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I obviously I, I didn't have a whole lot of voice in, in that
3: during a period of time that longevity went away. And I think we were in a different period of time when it comes to the economy, um, I think that was a mistake, personally, um, giving up
1: longevity. The department hasn't saved any money on that until, what, last year was the first time. So even when we didn't have any money, they could still afford to pay the guys who were getting it.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm 100% for the longevity returning to our employees. I think it's a mistake that we did that, and I will absolutely stand
0: up with you and and fight to get that back. So you you brought up uh, the wellness uh, uh, program, and, and so there's been some rumors circulating that have been brought to the PPA about you know, hey, it'd be nice to know, uh, do you have any plans on bringing back retired officers as appointed positions to run any bureaus?
3: Yeah, I've heard that. I heard, uh, so the question really is, was I planning on bringing my wife back? Because that's what everybody said. My wife was going to be the undersheriff and my wife was going to be the new appointee. 100% not true.
0: Mine was literally not for her. Uh, was it was an- for a guy who works over at the win. No,
3: I'm not bringing him back. To, <laughs> <all right>. So
0: <laughs> there's, there's for Steve, there's some good, uh, good information. Yeah. Uh, but, um, so we have, we
3: have a lot of very, very capable leaders at Metro and, you know, as you promote up into these various different positions, the, the challenge becomes more difficult, but I think it's, t- it's, it's an opportunity to give us people a chance to grow into those um, things and take Metro, you know, we, we, we have always been the premier agency because we've been out in front of just about every change curve. That takes exceptional leadership to do that, and I think, you know, I'm going to grow a a really exceptional group of people at Metro, but with the focus that we give a damn about our employees.
0: Now, I asked you this before at the Q&A, and you didn't answer it, and that's okay, and I get it if you don't want to answer it again. Any idea? Are you any closer to an undersheriff? (laughs) I thought you
3: were going to ask me, are we going first or second? No, no, no. no, You
0: already ruled out who wasn't (laughs) going to be the undersheriff, so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um it's and and why is it an interesting dynamic yeah, right yeah, because yeah. you know this from your position as under sheriff Joe had a lot of other it's like the president hand holding and, and kissing babies whereas the under sheriff or the vice president or whomever is doing a lot of the work so it's important to know who is that that yeah. real highest level commissioned officer right cuz you're you'd be a civilian they would be the highest level commission so Ooh. folks are interested in or yeah who's yeah, on who's your your going to be your three. kamala yeah <laughs>
1: um
3: listen, there's no doubt about it. Um, I've thought about that particular issue. I'm not prepared to tell you that I've settled on any particular one person. And there's one reason why. There's a long time between now and taking office. And, you know, you and I have both seen um, leaders flame out over the years. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure at Metro with the sheriff running for governor and keeping, you know, with crime going up and all the challenges that we have. And, And so, I'm not prepared to tell you that, but I think there's some very, very exceptional people at the top of that organization that, um, listen, I, I, I very, I thought very highly of Andy Walsh for a very long time. Um, but again, it's, you know, when Joe, I got to tell you this story, you may not know this, but when Joe actually asked me to be his undersheriff, I was as shocked as anybody because Joe and I, you know, we always had some very healthy, robust argument, um, coming up through the ranks together. And he was always sort of one above me until we both became assistant sheriffs and, um, You know, I think he picked somebody that was complimentary to his style but was not. You know, he came up mostly on the same side of the house of Metro that that you did, right, narcotics and covert stuff, and and, um, and I wasn't. I wasn't that guy. I worked a short, short period of time in narcotics. And so I'm going to use that thought process to make sure that I have somebody there that's not afraid because I wasn't afraid to tell Joe when he was wrong and I wasn't afraid to admit when he was right. Uh, you know, the gang unit was a good example of that. We made a mistake and, and, you know, I, I when people always still people today think that the, the gang unit is disbanded. I just heard this last week. I said, no, it's, and what I say about that is, is that as a leader, it's pretty rare to watch a leader make a decision and then reverse that decision a short time later. Most of the time they double down on stupid, right? Ah, oh, that's a decision I made. I, that's, that's a decision I made. And I think that, I took that took a lot of, uh, wherewithal for Joe as a leader to allow that to happen and I want people around me that are going to be exactly like that to tell hey look we made a mistake we can survive it let's fix it and so um, you know I, I honestly I don't know all the people that are in those positions right now um, so a lot of that will be um, you know when I win I have that uh, that window of opportunity to go through and really watch how it is that a number of people react you know we we call it you know, you always know when promotion season is up, right? Because you have a lot of people that, let's say, you want to be the next deputy chief, then all of a sudden you have lunch appointments with a whole <laughs> bunch of captains, right? And and it goes through every other rank the same way. So, um, you know, I call that under sheriff season, and, and uh, but I'm going to base it off of who I think is going to be the most effective leader at Metro, and I don't know who that is yet.
0: Copy that. Uh, uniforms talked about it at the Q and A. Uh, thought process on changing the uniform and. Uh, potentially allowing beards and tattoos where do you stand
3: yeah um same place as i stood uh during the forum um percent change uniform i know i started to give you a little answer on that and you said don't we don't need all the detail on it it's, but i just want people to understand that that doesn't happen day one there's a whole county process that you have to follow my personal opinion is i'd like to get into more like a 511 look type uniform that's functional um it's not wool Right, it's the opportunity to go out there. Um, I've sort of uh, evolved my thinking on these vests as well. That you know, the outer vest that a lot of the guys want. If we can find the shirt color that matches close enough to it to whatever that uniform looks like, but I also want to be respectful of the of the of the history and the tradition of Metro. Right, I don't want to go so far away to you know change it to a blue uniform as an example. I think that uniform really speaks volumes about our organization. Uh, but I mean. I can remember being a rookie cop complaining about the uniforms, and we really haven't ever done anything different with it. So, hundred percent, and I, w- I will keep the current tattoo policy where they cannot be visible.
0: Gotcha. Beards? I don't
3: care about beards at this point. You know, um, the beards is an interesting p- uh, piece as well. I-, I always thought it made you look unprofessional. Um, the, the The truth is, is is that we have to evolve at this point, and we've gotten to a place where if you want to have a beard. All you have to do is go get a waiver. Some doctor will sign. You know, the same doctor signs all the waivers at Metro. And so, why am I why am I pretending? Why do I have to put all these people through that process? We have a grooming standard. We maintain that grooming standard, and, and beards will be acceptable.
1: Uh, as far as uh, <clears throat> officers at the jail, a lot of our corrections officers uh, feel like they're treating being treated as second class officers by the administration. Um, most most of them feel that way because they're they're being made to put plastic bags on to bring their stuff down to the modules um there was no incidents uh where contraband was being brought into jail when they didn't have plastic bags and there's no nobody who's been caught bringing contraband in after the plastic bags they've been expected nobody's been uh, in the wrong and then uh as well as the internet not having internet available in the modules to check emails um to do pretty much anything everybody else can do on the internet um we're on the stance of if somebody's abusing the internet, to punish that person, not not everybody blanketly. Do you have any plans to correct any of those things when you one, and if you become sheriff?
3: So is the is the bag are you talking about where the employees have to put their the, stuff in a clear bag and come back to the 12th floor? And even I, the, I even seen when it.
1: they're they're outside in in the the hospitals, they're they're wearing plastic bags out out in Yeah, I, in, in, in uniform.
3: Yeah. I think that thing, I, I, really, I can't really recall why that was implemented, why we went to the plastic bags. I think that somebody went and found that that was what, quote, unquote, is the best practice. Um, if that's making employees feel like we don't trust them, I, I don't care about the plastic bags. I wouldn't mind getting rid of those. Um,
0: well, and not only that, Kevin, you look at, like, some of the ladies have feminine products. Some people have medicines and things like that that, you know, you just feel that are personal. And so what's the point of me having to show it off, you know? Yeah.
3: No, I get it. I,
0: I, I, I mean, guess I
3: hadn't really thought about that that much. Nobody has really brought it, that up to me. But
1: when they say this, they're like it's it's to prevent smuggling of guns and drugs in the jail. We don't have that problem. One and two, I can smuggle all that on my person. Yeah. You yeah.
3: know. No, I mean if, you, if, if an employee wanted to get something in the jail, it doesn't. Plastic bag's not going to not mm-hmm. going to change that. Yeah, I, I, I would be fine with getting rid of that. Um, I don't have a problem with that. But there was a second part to that.
1: The uh, access to the internet while uh, employees are working in the module.
3: Yeah. Um, I'll be honest with you. That would be something I have to look at. And I was a big proponent of getting rid of it. Um, and you know, all candor, that's the absolute truth. And part of the reason was, was that we'd had several incidents in a row. And one of those involved an employee that was sitting there watching a movie on their phone. <coughs> and the guy walked by with the sheet and then went into the room <coughs> and hung himself. And the officer never even looked up. So, um, I'm more of a proponent of dealing with issues as they come up rather than blanket rules. Um, You know, I think there's ways also to limit your ability to stream a a movie based on the internet, but access to your emails and those kinds of things, um, that's, they should be able to do that.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: Let's go through our little, I think, I think we hit most of the, most of the high points for everything. Uh, Like I said, this is going to go out to our folks. So anything you want to say in closing? Um. Yeah. I think
3: the number one thing that I want to say is, is thank you for what you do every single day. Um, I watched you do it for a, a lot of years. I led you um, in some of the most critical incidents that we've ever had at Metro. Uh, I remain in awe of the work that you do and how important you are to this community. Um, I'm coming back to, to lead you into even greater things, and um, I appreciate the opportunity and the honor for uh, working alongside you for so many years, and I'm looking forward to doing it again. And I'd just like to say to both of you, um, thanks for having me. And I know it's a little short notice. I'm a little scruffy because I'm in the middle of moving today. Weeks, and I couldn't find my razor.
0: <laughs> couldn't find my razor on the way over. So it's all, it's all good. We just, you'll make up for it with the uh, $25,000 donation to the police fire charity football <laughs> game uh, happening May 7th at 7 p.m. at Bonanza High School. Uh, just kidding. But we do appreciate you, Kevin. know it was short notice. And uh, to you and to all the candidates for coming in on short notice and uh, getting the word out. You know, we had a problem with our uh, our Zoom. Didn't record. It is what it is. So what's the next best thing? Let's get in front of this camera, get it out there so people can see who you are, what you're about. And then when the vote goes out on Monday, they can make a a more informed decision about who they're wanting to support.
3: Yeah. and, And, you know, I just add on to that is, is regardless of who you vote for vote, because this is your union and it matters, right? They, they, they need that. And sometimes, you know, we don't have the turnout that we need, even on contract negotiations. They represent you. They're
0: good at what they do.
3: So, make sure they hear from you.
0: Uh, all right, uh, our third and final uh, candidate, Kevin McMahill, former under sheriff. We greatly appreciate his time. Uh, pushed out a lot of good information to you all. And again, the goal of this whole thing was to let people know who the candidates are.
1: Yep, and uh, I think everybody did a good job. You guys will be able to decide uh, when we push out the email ballot on Monday. Uh, Was that Monday, March 28th? 28th. Uh, we're going to sell that out, and whoever gets the majority of the votes for whoever's voting, we're going to endorse. Um, also, an important thing coming up is uh, the Police and Fire Charity football game on May 7th. So make sure you uh, get your tickets for that because we're going to sell it quick.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good program that Dan and I just kind of worked on out of a whim. Uh, we used to have this football game long ago, we brought it back. We have a lot of really good athletes, a lot of talent. It is going to be Tackle. It is going to be at local Bonanza High School, um, a group that has been bending over backwards for us, helping us use fields, equipment, and things like that. So a big shout-out to them. But uh, the goal of this thing is to raise money for the Children's Heart Foundation, the Law Enforcement Assistance Fund, and the Professional Firefighters of Nevada. So if you could go to the LVPPA webpage, click on the football link. You'll see it on the home page. That will take you to GiveSmart. Go to GiveSmart, buy some tickets, buy some raffle tickets. We've got a 50-50 cash raffle going on. Uh, we're eventually going to be loading up shirts to buy for the game. Uh, support the causes, please, you know, to our officers. I asked you before in a, in a video, $10 is all we're asking you to pledge to the uh, charities. It's not a lot of money. A lot of you make over $100,000 a year. You can afford $10 for charity. Uh, so we're asking you, again, through this on a follow-up Go to the Give Smart link, donate, help us make this a popular event, and make it something that we can continue to do.
1: And uh, all these charities are local charities. Uh, Children's Heart Foundation, it's a local charity, Southern Nevada. Um, They help uh, kids and and families of children with uh, heart defects and heart disease. Uh, Professional firefighters in Nevada, they want to build a wall up in uh, Carson City um a memorial wall for their their fallen uh, members and you know leaf is a law enforcement assistance fund which, we, which would uh the charity that we run and uh with that we take care of our fallen officers uh children and wives to go to college we give them birthday presents with it christmas presents graduation presents and we also um give six five thousand dollar scholarships to members children every year that are seniors going into college. And uh, shortly, I think in the next uh, couple of weeks, we're gonna send out the details on these scholarships
0: for 2022. And a final thought, um, as, uh, you know, uh, former undersheriff McMahill was talking about with a wellness program, um, we're also rolling out just some advertisement, some support for a group called 911 Eddies. ease. Uh, we had these folks uh, founded by a former police officer Uh, Came to us to talk about a privately funded, totally disconnected group from the agency, even from the PPA, that you can go to to talk to about work issues, marital issues, parenting issues, substance abuse issues, uh, gambling issues, anything you can think of. This group is come to town. They have said, "Hey, we don't need anything from you guys other than support to tell people to come. And if they can save one cop's life, then everything that they've done was worth it." So. 911 at ease look at their website create a profile go there and if you need them use them they do not have a need to contact the department they don't have a fitness for duty for you nothing it is totally disconnected so please if you need help go out and get help um in the meantime push the football game support uh the candidates that we're going to be pushing out here in the near future and please vote when the vote goes out on monday We don't want to see a return of 400 responses when we have 3,300 employees in our agency, in our membership. I want to see 3,300. It's not a lot. Take your phone out, open your email, click a box, both for the sheriff and for the governor. And that's it. It's very simple. If you don't get a ballot, contact the office. We'll make sure you get one. Um, We will not send you more than one. You will only get one. We can't have double voting. Uh, But uh, please vote. Take care of the membership. Make sure we're taking care of each other. Be safe, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Hopefully on the next uh, series we have the governor's candidates uh, on here to talk to you as well.